And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. And here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Who the fuck is Daisy Domergoo? <laughs> yeah, that Daisy. She's a piece of work, man. <laughs> she's a she's a piece of work. She's but, a pepper uh... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's coming, Daisy. Quiet. Last piece. Um, but anyways, Justin, how are you? I'm, I was fabulous. I had some horrible news today when I found out that uh, Norm MacDonald passed away, and that kind of I broke know. my heart, man. I'm not going to lie. He's we, one of my favorites. We were just talking about him, I think, on the last episode about some of the racy stuff he did that you're like, ooh, that's edgy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He uh, always just just went with it, man. He he was he was a fearless comedian, as they say, and uh uh, a legend, and I am definitely saddened by his passing. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm I'm there with you. I remember there was a a roast of I think Bob Saget and Norm Macdonald came up and gave the driest kind of cleanest uh, <laughs> yeah. performance for it, and everybody was kind of like weirdly laughing, but the comedians were really laughing because I guess the story behind it was his bit was too racy for Comedy Central, so he just made it completely clean and gave like dad jokes. And it was awesome. I think that was pretty much all you have to say about Norm Macdonald, about how just great he was. So very, very sad. I think he was 61. Yeah, 61. Yeah. He's 20 years older than me. It's crazy. Ugh, scary stuff. Canada so. lost a good one, man. And yeah, that's true. So, But uh, shifting shifting those gears, um, I know that's kind of a somber note, but we do have uh, another reoccurring guest on this show. and uh, <laughs> A moto, you say? <laughs> I, I am excited to have him on here, but Mr. Mark Giles. How, how you doing, Mark? Oh, hey, guys. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. Heck yeah, man. As soon as we uh, talked about this movie, Justin and I, I was like, we got to get Mark on here. Mark's like, oh, dolly in, rack focus, zoom, pan, tilt all that stuff and he just knows and uh yeah i mean we'll we'll talk more those are film words (laughs) i know film words i know that those are words (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's it's always good to have you um like i said i look up to you for 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 movie stuff and uh you taught me a lot and maybe you know i might teach you a thing or two no i understand mark you're you're a subject matter expert when it comes to tarantino you know what he eats what he sleeps in what his favorite color is and all that stuff uh, I will. I'll, I'll claim being a fanboy. Okay. Yeah, you are, v- you are sucking on the proverbial teat of Tarantino. He's I, very much a fanboy. Yeah, I do think uh, he he really sparked a lot of my interest for film at an early age. So sure, that's I credit fair. him with that for sure. One hundred percent. I'm in the same boat with you. I uh, one of the reasons why I got my degree in film is because of Tarantino and my love for his early movies. I mean, I love them all, but I mean at the time. There was only a few. <laughs> Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and exactly. uh, I guess Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown when I was, was going out. to school, so uh, it wasn't I don't want to say lot. I'm walking in his, you know, shoes, but I did work for a movie rental place. Oh, oh nice. yeah, <laughs> I worked did. at a Hollywood video while I was in college. Nice. Yeah, we watched Not Quite Hollywood because Tarantino yeah, would... like really promoted that, didn't he? It was. Um, 
Yeah, that was one of the ones he referenced, or it had a lot of the Ozploitation films that he he would like sort of reference. I think he might have given an interview in that one. He did, yeah, because that guy is just a savant for for film history. He's like Justin; he remembers all these things, and you're like, "How did you remember that?" <laughs> yeah, it's like holy yeah, shit. <laughs> his his knowledge goes all the way into like the like the B budget horror and the yeah. the, <laughs> with the genius yeah. actors. He knows everything about everything. I. It stems from pure love, so it's yeah. not like even brute memorization. He just loves this stuff so much that oh, awesome. it's like permanently lodged in his brain. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, but uh, anyways, yeah. Well, cool, man. What what have you been watching? Uh, I just finished the new season of AP Bio. Ooh. Oh, um, nice. I don't know. I know a guy you... that was in that. <laughs> um, <Just> um, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I uh, I actually worked with uh, someone who was in it. One of the um, actors who plays one of the uh, class children. Uh, or I don't know if they're children. I guess they're high schoolers. But I worked with her on set. She was um, just doing some little commercial shoot, and I recognized her. As it's always weird when you know somebody in these shows. Like I know you. Yeah, it's awkward. Shit. <laughs> I, I watch it because I'm a longtime uh, fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So I just kind of naturally followed over to this. I like it a lot. Is that on Peacock? It is. Yeah. Okay. You can yeah. watch like the first three and a half seasons for free, I think. Is is Dennis just being Dennis basically in it? It's kind of what I've heard, which I, it, I love because. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's like uh, definitely a philosophy nerd and kind of a narcissist and. Um, you know, kind of, kind of like Rick in, <laughs> to it in a sense, um, just nihilistic and living in his hometown again and hating his life, trying to figure out how to make others as miserable as him. Sounds like a dick. <laughs> it's pretty excellent. Nice man. Is that all you watch? That's it. Just that. Um, no, what else have I watched? I actually recently watched uh, the second Kingsman movie, Ooh. <laughs> uh, Secret Service. No, also, the, gold, the Golden Circle is the second or, one. Oh, Golden Circle. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was in, in that's the one where like the cell phones are the yeah. thing. Yeah. It was <laughs> it was interesting. Um, kind of cheesy. Wait, the cell phones is the first one. The so that's the secret service. The second one is the golden circle and that's with like the drugs that like I think if it's weed or something like that that makes it kills you. It's that's it was right. weird. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I did watch the first one. Oh, the first one's incredible. We, yeah. we did that on this podcast and the first one is just phenomenal. I love that movie so much. That church scene is just Oh my god, yes. So but... good. <laughs> <laughs> that's brutal. So yeah. many, so many violent murders in that. I know <laughs> they're not polite murders. They're very violent. <laughs> they're very violent murders. <laughs> not taking a sleeping pill or anything like that. Too many of them. <laughs> yeah. And that it's was not working. It's <laughs> supposed to, to work. work. What, what the, the fuck? fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, cool. I just watched, rewatched that, revisited. It was a fun revisit. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite secret action films. Wait, secret favorite action films. I should speak better, but <laughs> Justin, what did you watch? Um, I wrote it down. I watched Kim's Convenience. I've been plowing through that. It's such a ridiculously funny show. It's so fucking funny. And if you haven't watched it, please do so. It is on the Netflix there, and it is absolutely delightful. 
And I watched Red Dawn today <laughs> while I was working. And that was fun. I forgot a lot about that movie for some reason. It's been a, it had been a spell since I'd watched it. And it was almost like I was teleported back to 1980-whatever-the-fuck-four. And I was enjoying <laughs> myself for the first time. I was like, oh, my God, Powers Booth is in this movie. Oh, I forgot they killed that guy. Oh, my God, you can't take on a helicopter. Crazy. And uh, I was enjoying it. I'm not going to lie. As weird as, you know, it is, you know, just as Cold War movies are always, always interesting, you know, like the whole idea of World War Three on our own soil. I think that uh, there is something to be said about that and a lot of explosions and grenades and bullets. <laughs> True <laughs> 80s movie, dude. A lot of peeing uh, in radiators, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you grow up, you'll know some stuff. Now get up there and be on the radio. <laughs> oh, jeez. And I love Patrick Swayze so much. I mean, talk about Norm Macdonald and just being you know so saddened by his passing. When when we lost Patrick Swayze, uh, gosh, over 10 years ago now, I was just devastated. I love his movies so much, as ridiculous as that sounds. But um, I just, he was a delight. And I'm sad. So there's that. And then, I, of course, I had to play. It, it was the weekend, so I had to play Dark Souls 3 again <laughs> and uh, beat the shit out of it this time. Took my time by 53 minutes, and I'm very proud of that. So, Damn. Yeah. Dude, you are, you are a king of Dark Souls. New personal best. I know. It was just Sunday at like noon. I'm like, man, I'm going to play Dark Souls 3. <laughs> and I just fought right through it. <laughs> I, got, it I got six hours to spare. I can play it. I do it under five now. Oh or no, uh, under, under six. It's like five hours and like 33 minutes or something like that. Um, you should do start doing speed run videos then well they people beat it in like 30 minutes now, oh so. eh, but i mean mind. they do like wall hacks and well that's cheating weird stuff but it's still impressive but yeah i i gotta go all the way through yeah but i enjoy myself i have a good time what about you so um i started watching uh the white lotus like a, a couple weeks ago and then i watched a few more episodes and uh you know it's it's hard to watch i think mark we were talking about this too it's just like garbage people and 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 I, I dig it but i mean the people you just you're like man fuck these folks you know like yeah they're but it, it's beautifully shot um and and i really like the acting um the story's kind of weird like it it seems there there are moments that just kind of drag that i'm like wait is something gonna happen or why am i watching this but it's just garbage people what and do you think of the music the music's really cool it's very interesting it's kind of um it's kind of like, I don't know, adventurous, poppy, but it doesn't seem like it fits. Like I'm trying to figure out the theme of it because I'm actually only th three episodes into it just because okay. they're a little bit longer. Yeah. But it's like, I know that there's a murder because that's how they start out. The murder, thing. you say? Murder. <laughs> but uh, Plop from The Office, he's a, he's a piece of shit in this movie. And he, he keeps talking about the room and he's like, oh, my mom paid for this room and blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> you're my hot wife. And um, he's just he's an asshole. But like the music around him is just very poppy and, and weird. And I don't know what to think of the genre, but it is hard to watch garbage people. That's not to take away from the show. I think the show is actually really cool and I'm digging it so far. It's just so fascinating, like what's going on with it. But yeah, so it's not too bad. And then I watched the season finale of Rick and Morty for this season, uh, the two parter episodes um i don't know if you saw that or, or not oh Mark, yeah but i watched holy it shit. a couple of times holy shit it blew me away i was kind of um lukewarm on this season but how they released the final two like back to back basically yeah uh was awesome and it was a really fun take on like samurai jack and just different animes <laughs> that was really cool 
Um, and the dual call out of capitalism. Yeah, oh God, exactly. Nice. <laughs> just, but just the ideas that went into the Citadel stuff and, and the evil Morty, he's like, he's like, it's going to be evil Morty watch. He's going to have a plan and all the shit that goes on. It was so fascinating. And 40 year old Morty was really funny too. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> he had that cool tattoo on his arm. So, uh, but yeah, R- Rick and Morty was excellent. The, they, they really kind of bookmarked it. Uh, I really liked the thing. idea of the central finite curve. Yeah, I know that was so fascinating. Just the whole the whole plot device was really in- interesting, and I loved the like quick little three minute sob story of Rick. Yeah, you get his origin story. I loved that. That was one of my favorite moments. You get a full Han Solo and a full yeah. uh, D- um, Deckard from Blade Runner, like <laughs> yeah, full on so for both. Rad. Like he's eating yeah. he's eating noodles in like a in yep. like L A. in a futuristic L <laughs> A. It was it was awesome. So yeah, really really loved it. Um, I know Justin, you haven't jumped on that bandwagon, but I think you'd like a lot of bits and pieces of Rick and Morty. I watched the first two seasons and then. Uh, there was like a delay between the next one. And oh, yeah. I just kind of forgot about it. Yeah, I have a hard time a keeping up with shows that aren't consistent with their seasonal releases. So like uh, Venture Brothers was another one where, you know, it it mm-hmm. took basically 15 years to get through. Seven I've been trying to get back into the later seasons of that. It's it's tough to go back to. Yeah, it's so good, though. I fucking love Venture Brothers. But did I mean, you, same thing. Worked. Did you finish it out? Yeah. Just recently. Uh, okay, I, yeah. <laughs> there was a long, long delay. Because the problem is, you know, they outsource all the animation and, and only a handful of people. I mean, it takes all of 25 seconds to get through the credits of the show. And you're just like, how many people are working on this? And the answer <laughs> is not many, you know. Um, so like Jackson Public and, and Doc Hammer pretty much do everything aside from a couple of voices. And so it takes them a long time to do a season. Yeah, so... I need to, I need to jump on that. Oh man, it's so fucking good. So. Go team venture. <laughs> Go team venture. Yeah, a lot of Steve's a mo. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And the monarch. Oh my god. The monarch. <laughs> Check under T for the monarch. <laughs> the monarch. Oh my god, it's so good. Doctor girlfriend. Yeah, no, no, she's doctor wife. <laughs> doctor girlfriend. Um. Cool. Um, are you guys ready to talk about the motion picture show? Hell yeah. Uh, only if we're talking about it in 70 millimeters. Yeah. <laughs> and a road show to boot. Sure. <laughs> Any one of them ultra wide. Can we do an intermission with it too? <laughs> no, there's no intermission. Just you get your uh, catheter at the door. There you uh, go. <laughs> will there be a live overture performed? <laughs> yeah. It could be. Ennio Morricone is going to rise from the rise from the dead. <laughs> I, I can I can sing song all day long. I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> come come with kick drum. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we're gonna do the Hateful Eight from 2015, directed and written by Quentin Tarantino, who you might know uh, from films like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Bucky and Jackie Brown, Kill Bill Volume One and Two, Glorious Bastards, Django and Chain, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and uh, many others. So uh, he's a good one. I like the man. Uh, the cast includes Samuel Jackson, Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Lee, Walton Goggins, uh, Damien Bashir, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Bruce Dern, and James Parks. Critical reception. It's uh, a little all over the map. This movie isn't for everyone. It is at a 74% certified fresh on the old tomato meter there. 
but um, it's got a lot of a lot of hate. <laughs> Uh, Adam Naiman from CinemaScope says, The Hateful Eight may be really sort of terrible. Period. Wow. <laughs> that ain't right. <laughs> you got paid to write that, you know. Uh, then you got, let's see here, um, Claudia Pog from the, uh, what is that? Uh, Asahai Shimbun Globe? Okay. <laughs> uh, says, the Hateful Eight often feels more like a sadistic stage play than a movie. Interesting she should say that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got some... Jason Bailey He said, from Flavorwire says, A gloriously unhinged, wildly unpredictable, yet subtly, subtlety existential piece of work. I could probably agree with that. And then you have... Let's see... Um, I think there's another good one here. Uh, Gilman Martinez Oya from Cinematismo says a film where the dialogues are often a character itself. There you go. Some interesting dialogue. Not for everyone. Again, um, I don't know. This one was interesting because the first time I saw it, I didn't quite know what to make of it. So I, I remember, I remember, I was like, I think I like it, but I gotta watch it again and then again and again and again. And uh, I've seen this movie more than any other Tarantino film, which is really weird to say, but uh, I just can't stop watching it. I fucking love it so much. Um, budget was $44 million, and it grossed uh, $54 million in the United States and Canada. Opening weekend, it only did $4.6 million. And, of course, that was on December 27th, 2015. And then worldwide, you're looking at $156 million. Wow. It's a lot of moolah. Yeah, for a Western, that's uh, that's not half bad. Yeah. Not going to lie. Not a lot of people go to the cowboy movies. Well, Tarantino, though. I mean, I go to Tarantino. Yeah. So, sure. Speaking of which, writer and director Quentin Tarantino said that some of Ennio Morricone's compositions for the film are the unused scores for The Thing, 1982. Kurt Russell was a star in that movie. That's also one of my favorite movies of all time. So I clearly knew that. I am a savant. Did you get the board game that I sent you? Uh, I got the link. I need to buy it. I bought a lot of stuff this week and I forgot to buy that. So I will do that. It sounds fun. I also need to get friends before I can get a board game because <laughs> otherwise I'm going to be playing that game by myself. So <laughs> you can just set up little plushies. Yeah, there you go. Like Clad Frog and stuff. Probably Prissy Pants. I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> like, in, like in South Park where Cartman has all oh, his little yeah. dollies set up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Clyde Frog and Polly I, Prissy Pants. Clyde Frog. <laughs> yeah. Um, according to writer and director Quentin Tarantino, his two primary cinematic influences on the film were The Thing and Reservoir Dogs. Uh, even though Tarantino wrote and directed... <laughs> Straw Dogs. <laughs> Straw Dogs. <laughs> even though Tarantino wrote and directed the latter film, it remained an influence on his later work. That's like him patting himself on the back a little bit. <laughs> Not gonna lie. <laughs> or maybe like to kill each other in this movie. It'll be great. <laughs> trying to fix mistakes. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like that cinematic masterpiece, Reservoir Dogs. Who, who, who did that again? <laughs> you know, they could have done better by doing this though. So, <laughs> um, as of 2015, most theaters worldwide had their film projectors replaced with digital projectors, as traditional film stock was no longer in favor. As a fan and supporter of celluloid, writer and director Quentin Tarantino aggressively fought with distributors for the film to be shown in its original Ultra Panavision 70 presentation. As a result, 50 theaters internationally were retrofitted with anamorphic, 
anamorphic lensed 70 millimeter analog film projectors to display the film as he intended it to be seen. It was released on December 25th, 2015 as a roadshow presentation in 70 millimeter analog film format theaters exclusively before being released in digital theaters on December 30th, 2015. And, uh, and fun fact, Mark and I actually saw this movie in theaters at, uh, in 70 millimeter at a roadshow. And it was actually really cool. It's the first roadshow I've ever been to. I still have the booklet. Me too. I have it too. It was so interesting. It has like behind the scenes stuff. It was you, me, Cole, and his ex-girlfriend. Um, <laughs> I didn't know how to approach that, but uh, but it was really great because we had the intermission to kind of discuss it, you know, Yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, really cool. We kept talking about Walton Goggins. We're like, he was really great. <laughs> so it was an event. Yeah. Dude, so the last movie I saw on 70 millimeter was Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. And I remember that even on the screen, there was just black on the top and the bottom. It was just like too wide for the the theater. It was crazy. Yeah, it's um, I I, I think it might be the only one I've seen in 70 millimeter. I could be wrong, though. And I'm not sure if it was like the to spec, like exactly how Tarantino envisioned it, but it was some flavor of 70 millimeter. And, (laughs) you know, it was awesome. It was cool ranch flavored. So, yeah. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so during the developmental uh, development stage, Christoph Waltz was rumored to be up for the executioner, but it, it was always intended for Tim Roth. And that would be a vastly different film if Christoph Waltz played Oswaldo Mowbray. Um, I mean, he's just so phenomenal. And all I can really think of is Hans Landa. And I mean, I guess uh, what's the dentist's name in Django? I always forget his name in that. Uh, Dr. Schultz. Yeah, yeah, King Schultz. And then finally, Kurt that Russell... That name do have penis. Yeah, finally, Kurt Russell's John Wayne impersonation was quite deliberate. At one point, his character utters the line, that'll be the day, which was the famous catchphrase of Wayne's character in The Searchers. He did do a pretty awesome thing, and his mustache was out of this world. Oh, so good. <laughs> Cool. Well, here is a a spoiler uh, filled synopsis. In 1877, bounty hunter and Civil War veteran Major Ma Keys Warren is heading to Red Rock, Wyoming. He hitches a ride on a stagecoach driven by OB. Aboard is bounty hunter John Ruth, handcuffed to fugitive Daisy Domague, whom he is taking to Red Rock to be hanged. Ruth and Warren had previously bonded over Warren's personal letter from Abraham Lincoln, the president. Lost causer Chris Mannix, Red Rock's new sheriff, also joins them. They seek refuge from a blizzard at Minnie's Haberdashery Lodge. Greeted for greeted by Bob, a Mexican, he says Minnie is all is away, raising Warren's suspicions. Other lodgers are Red Rock's new hangman, Oswaldo Mowbray, Cowboy Joe Gage, and Sanford Smithers, a Confederate general traveling to bury his son. Suspicious, Ruth disarms all but Warren. Mannix surmises Warren's Lincoln letter is false, and Warren, who is black, acknowledges the forged letter buys him leeway with whites. Warren leaves a gun next to Smithers and provokes him by claiming that he sexually assaulted and murdered Smithers' son. When Smithers reaches for the gun, Warren shoots and kills him in revenge over executions of black prisoners of war at the Battle of Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge. (laughs) Baton Rouge. At the same time, someone poisons the coffee. Ruth and OB drink it, which kills OB, while the poison Ruth attacks Domergue, who then kills him with his own gun. Warren disarms Domergue, leaving him leaving her shackled to Ruth and holds the others at gunpoint. He is joined by Mannix, whom Warren trusts because he nearly drank the poison coffee. 
Discovering the chair usually occupied by Sweet Dave is stained with blood and revealing that many hated Mexicans and would never leave the haberdashery in the care of one, Warren decides that Bob killed the owners and promptly executes him. When Warren threatens to execute Domergue, Gage admits he poisoned the coffee. An unknown man hiding in the cellar below shoots upward through the floorboards, hitting Warren in the groin. Mowbray shoots Mannix, who returns fire, wounding Mowbray. Hours earlier, Bob, Mowbray, Gage, and the unknown man, Domergue's brother Jody, arrive at the lodge. They murder Minnie and five others, leaving only Smithers. Jody tells him they plan to rescue Domergue and will spare him if he keeps quiet. They dispose of the bodies and hide the evidence. As Ruth's stagecoach arrives, Jody hides in the cellar. In the present, Mannix and Warren, both seriously wounded, hold Domergue, Gage, and Mowbray at gunpoint. When they threaten to kill her, Jody surrenders and he and is executed by Warren. She claims her brother's men are waiting in Red Rock to kill Mannix. If Mannix kills Warren and allows her to escape, the gang will spare him. Warren shoots Domergue and Mowbray, killing Mowbray. Gage draws a revolver, but is shot dead by both Mannix and Warren. Warren tries to shoot Domergue, but is out of bullets. Mannix rejects her offer, but faints from blood loss. Domergue hacks off Ruth's handcuffed arm and frees herself, but Mannix regains consciousness and shoots her. Warren persuades him to hang Domergue from the rafters in honor of Ruth. As they lie dying, Mannix reads aloud Warren's Lincoln letter, complimenting his attention to detail. End of film. I hear old Mary Todd calling. <laughs> yeah. It's time to be getting to bed. You know, it's interesting because this is a really long movie, but that synopsis was like one of the fastest synopsis we've ever had on the show. I was thinking about that. I'm like, this is skipping so much dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> they talked about this for a bit. And they talked about that for a bit. Yeah. You ain't never heard of Wellenbeck. <laughs> um, yeah. Holy shit. So you guys are just talking about it, but so you saw the hateful eight in the theater on 70 millimeter. Yeah. Yeah. We went to uh Pacific place. Mark. Yeah. Or, yeah. In Seattle. And we saw it in 70 millimeter and it was the whole, you know, shebang. We got the bat. We got these cool books to go with it and stuff. And did they retrofit that though? I wonder if they had, they've always had that film film reel. Uh, yeah, they had to do something to it. I remember, um, it was on a list of like 2000 approved theaters of some kind. The most notable part of the experience for me was the intermission. I actually really liked that the chance to step outside and chat about the movie. I, I felt it worked really well for this particular film. So that to me, that was the most notable part of the whole experience. It wasn't so much the 70 millimeter, even though I loved it. It looked great. Well, do you mm-hmm. remember when the, when the intermission took place? Um. Yeah. Isn't it right before his narrate? He comes back in narrating. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so it's, it's after r- he shot. Yeah. Um, Marquis. Uh, Smithers. Uh. Ooh. No, I thought it was when Marcus Warren gets his his penis shut off or shot off. I think that's that's when the intermission was. I think no, it's before the poison. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Then you're right. Yes. Yeah. You're absolutely right because. He yeah he narrates the poison and the poisoning. that's what we, we came back to yeah that's like, what we're coming oh. back into yes you're exactly. absolutely right yeah yeah so Colonel Sandy Smithers just got killed and then then it got it cuts to when you watch it without an intermission then it cuts to Daisy or Damagoo's got a secret that mm-hmm. yes absolutely yeah. there we go okay how did you see right. it Justin uh, I saw it at home 
I didn't see it in the theater. Oh, wow. You usually yeah. see all movies in theaters. I know. I know. This came out at a very dark time in my life. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I I didn't. Uh, I wasn't going out. I wasn't talking to people. I was I was alone with my thoughts. And I missed this one. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. I got over it. I'm better. Hmm. Well, I'm good. Better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so when this came out, I just, uh, I, I missed it, but um, I did see it at home and uh, it was great. I watched it with my buddy Jordan and Jordan V and uh, it was fun to watch with another person. If I was by myself, um, I, I'm curious what I would have thought, but I was laughing a lot in this movie, <laughs> which is weird because it's such a dark and, and gritty movie, but I find myself laughing quite a bit. You know, there's, there's these people are almost like characters, and it's it's a little it's a little weird in a good way. So, um, so for me, like I said, this movie is ridiculously funny. I find myself laughing pretty much the whole way through it, and that's interesting considering just how dark and graphic and just fucking offensive this movie can be. You're like, what about you guys? Were, were you laughing, or is your was your mouth more glued shut as you were watching it in the theater? On um at least on this watch, I can't remember in the theater. I definitely laughed at moments in the theater, but yeah, this time I laughed quite a bit. Um, I think just the way that the darkest parts of humanity are on display here, um, <laughs> and the the uh, this idea of frontier justice and how swift it can be. You know, there's a lot to laugh at, like the heightened. Um, sense of stakes going on like the moment um, he decides that Bob is lying he just executes him right there the (laughs) the justice is so swift and so fast and there's not really uh, that that heightened sense of um, existence I just find really funny and it it it's a recurring thing throughout this film I, I find and it's so over the top like he shoots bob and he's like four bullets and shoots him in the head yeah. his head fucking explodes yeah. that's not how bullets work <laughs> like, four measly bullets and, yeah and there goes senior bob uh, but uh, you know that but he that was frontier justice and doling it out uh was very quick and swift I, right and they talk about frontier justice right i mean yeah oswaldo absolutely. the hangman he goes on a uh, sort of a monologue as to what the different types of justice uh, exist in this uh, wild, wild west, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, you, that's a really well. That's a really good point. I didn't even think about that too. The frontier justice, and I think that's the, the stuff that I laughed at the most. And, and Tarantino does this a lot. And in, like in Django, you know, when he's like, "Say goodbye to Miss Miss Candy" or whatever, you know, "Bye, Miss Candy," and shoots her, and she just flies through the the door. Like he he, he makes this violence overly extreme and i think a lot of critics tell him all his films are too violent but that's kind of his middle finger in my opinion it's kind of his middle finger to them it's like okay well i'm gonna make it ridiculously over the top and um but but the swiftness of the frontier justice that makes a lot of sense and that's probably why i was laughing so much at these things because Mm -hmm. yeah when he shoots bob i'm like well (laughs) you know (laughs) Tough shit. I, we all kind of we all kind of figured Bob was guilty at a certain point. So, and Marcus <laughs> Warren, he wouldn't be alive, you know, up until that point if he had not l- listened to his intuition, his gut, and he was right. So, it's it's just fascinating. But I think 
but Tarantino does a really good job of lingering on characters for like a long time. And like we were talking about before we started recording, you know, that you got to nail it shut. You got to use two pieces of wood. And <laughs> one's not good enough. <laughs> one's not good. And they're all just interjecting. And even Joe Gage in the corner is like, you got to nail it shut. <laughs> just, <laughs> really like, nail it in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just laughing at how it doesn't feel scripted because it this fucking f- thing is busted. <laughs> <laughs> He's so like, that, do- that door's a whore. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But I think, you know, for for the, for all intents and purposes, this movie really reminds me of a play because it's isolated to almost one set piece. But in, in plays, you're getting a lot of sharp dialogue. You're not getting a lot of intercutting um, uh, language or, or people talking uh, amongst each other necessarily. In this film, you'll have that you'll have some amazing dialogue. And I think that's one of Tarantino's best things is he's so good at writing that kind of stuff, but you get a lot of the side conversations and things that just seem out of place and it kind of throws you off. But I think that's what makes it so, so likable. And I pick up things when I rewatch it, but yeah, I'm laughing a ton. And a lot of it too is because Justin and I quote the shit out of this movie. So, you know, I'm laughing. I fucking knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That means you Joe Joe Gage. Gage. Like, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. And I think it's, it's so well done. And I love Oswaldo. I think he's so just fascinating, but (laughs) it's certainly not Buster. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I, I, yeah, I, I laugh a lot at this film and it, it's weird that it's that funny, you know? Right. Yeah. So when, um, when they're talking about frontier justice, he says, now the good part about frontier justice is it's very thirst quenching. The bad part is it's apt to wrong as right. So that is interesting how just taking the law into your own hands, um, you know, whether it's right or wrong, you're still killing somebody. That's crazy. But yeah. it's thirst quenching. Yes. Exactly. There's question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. I, I fucking laugh so much. And you're right about um, just different dialogue that's going on in the movie. Like when when they're screaming about the door. Uh, you know, I showed you that footage of Bruce Dern just yeah. like looking at the camera like, what the fuck is happening right now? It's so <laughs> funny. Oh, my God. I couldn't stop laughing. Laughing else by the door. And you hear Joe Gage yelling, fucking thing is busted and all that stuff <laughs> off off camera. But even when they're in the stagecoach, you hear OB, you know, screaming bloody murder, murder at these horses. Like yeah. He's just constantly going, yeah, 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 get in, get in. <laughs> <laughs> Mush. And you're just like, what is happening out there? And so that's kind of funny, too. There's just a lot happening. Whereas if it were a play, you know, the side characters or ones not talking, they would still be next to each other, but the lights would be dim around them and it would be well lit on whoever is talking. Uh, could very much work as a play uh, minus uh, the flashback scene. They'd have to probably do that first. I would imagine. Which, uh, which of the two flashbacks, I guess both. Yeah. I think it, it was, you would probably have to lose the black dong flashback. Yeah. So that I already, yeah, you wouldn't see unless it, they did a way to where they had, uh, they would dim the lights on, on major Warren and Sandy Smithers and then have, uh, sort of this, uh, the incident in question happening off to the side. I think mm-hmm. you, you might be able to get away with that and it being well lit, but then just, um, Joe, the doming gray <laughs> gang. <laughs> I can't say it without saying like, like Walton Goggins. <laughs> doming gray. Doming uh, gray. <laughs> uh, you could open the play with them taking over the haberdashery. Yeah. I think that would work too. Yeah. True. Um, 
just to make it easier for the audience to understand uh, since we don't have the title cards. And from a continuity point, that would make more sense too as like a play, but right. And, and uh, we'll get into this later. The, um, the, the haberdashery goes through sort of stages of destruction. And so it almost has to be shot in order uh, in, in sequential order. Otherwise things will be out of place. Um, you know, like there's, there's just going to keep being more blood on the floor. <laughs> so you got to kind of just shoot it in order. It's kind of funny how that works. Uh, I'm always fascinated with movies like that. Yeah. Evil dead was one like that too, where they had to shoot it pretty much in script order because the house is just getting more and more fucked up as the movie goes on. <laughs> yeah. You can't re- just, It's pointless to try and recreate that. Just go with it. So anyway, uh, let's address the elephant in the room. Uh, the N-word is spoken more times than I care to count. Uh, this has been talked about to death, and some folks flat out refuse to watch uh, Tarantino's movies anymore. Was this movie uncomfortable for you in any way? or And why do you think Tarantino uses it so much in his writing? Yeah, I mean, I was... I was really uncomfortable, but I, I mean, I think as a white male, that's what it's supposed to do. That's what Tarantino is meaning to do with it. He's just, I, I mean, he's being authentic and, and Sam Jackson even defended him because, you know, he's been in like eight films with, I think Tarantino or eight of Tarantino's films in some capacity. And he, he quoted that. He said, you know, Quentin captures the language of who those people are and what their time is. Um, and as, as much as we, I think we've talked about this a bunch on this podcast. It's, it's, it is hard to hear. We're supposed to be uncomfortable, but this is, you know, 19th century Wyoming where this kind of shit happened all the time. And we're just coming out of the civil war. Of course, there's going to be race-based tension with the only black character in the film. So it is pretty excessive. And Django even is, is more, but that's a movie about slave ownership and, and, and about a, a former slave rising up and becoming a bounty hunter. So of course you're going to run into the N word, but I mean, it's supposed to make us uncomfortable. He has had that criticism before though, you know, like in Pulp Fiction when he plays Jimmy and Mm -hmm. he's like, do do you see a sign on my door that says dead N words? Welcome. It's like, yeah, storage, (laughs) storage. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, It's rough. It's, it's pretty rough. And, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I think he probably fine tuned a little more as he got on, but yeah, it's, it's supposed to make us feel uncomfortable, but I, I agree. It, it is hard to watch. I mean, I had to turn my TV down a little bit because my, my my door was open. And I'm like, yeah, I probably should turn this down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting when, when Samuel Jackson defends him, right? So, I mean, not that it makes it any easier for us to to hear the word, but, uh, you know, I, I forget the article that I was reading it on, but he was saying that, you know, he knows these actors outside from work. You know, he's friends with them. He trusts them. He knows that they have you know, the different philanthropies that they're good humans and that this is, you know, they're playing these characters. Yeah. So I thought that that was, uh, that was interesting. It was nice to, it was comforting for me to read at least, but it's still jarring to hear, you know, it's always been an Mm -hmm. inappropriate word in our house. And then when I just watch Tarantino movies, it's just like littered with it. I'm just like, (laughs) fuck me, dude. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot. Like, it's obviously a choice and I think it's fine that, you know, he made that choice. Um, to me, it, it doesn't really add that much. Like, I'm not sure, honestly, I'm not sure if it still has its intended effect. Like I know what the intended effect is. I I think it's largely what you're hinting at Zach of like, yeah, I'm feeling uncomfortable, but 
I don't, I, I get that he's trying to make a larger point, which he does, you know, like with, uh, the Lincoln letter and, and, um, you know, he's the one who emancipated slaves and like, he's got this larger point about slavery, but I'm not sure that the, that language works, you know, with that, the point that he's trying to make, I guess. I'm not sure if it, if it like adds to it for me. I think, I think some of the insight for me was when, you know, uh, Samuel Jackson saying that the, the purpose of the letter is to disarm white folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it got me on that stagecoach, didn't it? Whereas Chris Mannix is saying the only time white folks are safe is when black people are scared. And they're having this conversation in the, in the carriage. And even when he was like, you know, how many black towns have you sacked? And he's like, my fair share, you know, like (laughs) they're literally having this open conversation about killing each other. And I'm just like, oh my God, this this is heavy. (laughs) I don't, I don't, I'm uncomfortable right now. This is making me very, making the Lord very nervous and uh, stressing me out, which I mean, anyone that listens to this podcast knows that I love feeling uncomfortable when I'm watching a movie. It keeps me engaged. (laughs) It really does. Well, and I think, you know, it's the the things that also bug me too, because if you think of a different adjective for it, like they go the black fella over there or, you know, the the dark guy. It's it's just like, is that that much better? I mean, I know the N word is so strong, but it's like the darkie and and the shit that they're saying. I'm like, that's still really racist. and And it makes me feel uncomfortable. And. I've, you know, I'm a white person who's never had to deal with that. And it, it just puts me in a situation where I'm like, Jesus, man, white people suck. Right. <laughs> I was he calls them black major and uh-huh. yeah. major N word. And you're just like, oh, my God, dude, stop already. Yeah. yeah. I was scrolling Samuel L. Jackson's credits. And in the 80s, he had a, a credit uh, for black man. Oh, was, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. In what movie? Uh, I'll, I'll pull it back up. It was something I had never heard of. I guess I'm just not sure which point Tarantino is trying to make. Um, and I think the point gets lost a little bit in the way he uses the word repeatedly. Like I did like that, you know, he points out, Hey, they don't like to be called that anymore. Um, yeah. Like there was a time when they were okay with it. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> but I mean this, okay. So let's just say, you know, for argument's sake, this is a period piece. It's after the Civil War, but close to it. Um, so it makes sense, right? But Pulp Fiction certainly isn't a period piece. You know, that that was a current movie in the current times. In in Reservoir Dogs, they uh, Steve Buscemi drops the word a couple times, mm-hmm. um, along, along with everyone else in the car. So, I mean, it's a word that he throws around pretty regularly. Uh, so and so I, ha- I have it crazy. here. 1989, Sea of Love. Samuel L. Jackson is credited as black guy. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> I, re- I remember that role. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like, I, I guess there's some point to it. Yeah. To, to pointing it out. Sure. But I mean, I know, I know it's been talked, like I said, it's been talked about to death. It's, I, it's, it's uncomfortable for me. Uh, th- again, this is one of my favorite movies, but every time they say it, I'm just like, fuck, really? Another time, and like one time I tried counting, but I just I couldn't anymore. I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> uh, it was just bad. So I need an abacus. It was just getting too high. But now, uh, Major Warren, uh, you know, he does he does a fine bit of detective work. We were talking about that earlier. And uh, right from the start, he's weary of Senior Bob. You know, there's the front door, there's a no hats indoors policy, the jelly beans on the floor, Sweet Dave's chair, and so on. 
Uh, are you happy with the amount of mystery or were you fairly certain everyone was a bad guy in this film? Uh, and then we were just going to have fucking all out Reservoir Dogs all over again. <laughs> I uh, I really thought that um, it, it worked to have a clear protagonist. You know, you have Ruth at the very beginning who then picks up Warren. Um, but you're like pretty sure that these are, you know, our protagonists or at least one of them is. And then, of course, Ruth dies. Um, and Warren continues it, but he, I think he makes a really great protagonist and saves this from going the way of Reservoir Dogs and kind of helps give it a lot more narrative shape. Um, you know, whereas Reservoir Dogs relied more on, um, flashbacks and there wasn't a lot of character development. It was, it was a cool movie in its own right, but this, I feel like through, through uh, Warren's investigating and detective work, uh, we we get a much clearer vehicle forward uh, in this film. Right, and we know that he's a smart man. You know, he broke out of prison before. Uh, he's lived quite a, a long life already. You know, he's been around a while. He's seen a lot of horrible things, and he's always come out on top. His his entire existence, he's being hunted down, and he's still around. So. You don't get that way from being dumb. You know, he's a smart man. He's probably the smartest one in the room, uh, apart from maybe Daisy Domergue. She's pretty she's pretty clever. Uh, and you see that when she's in the stagecoach, she gets hit over the head and the blood's dripping down her face. And there's just a shot of her face. And she's just kind of like scheming. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I think the two of them are the smartest in the movie. And he he repeatedly lets you know that he knows this this location the owner you know mini right is very very aware that yeah sure don't sound like mini <laughs> yeah well yeah and and i think you know from the get-go we're, we're getting the whole even kurt russell you know john ruth is telling him oh i know you, you know we 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 met before you're marcus warren or whatever and he's like yeah hey, we shared a steak in chattanooga but he still has the gun affixed on him he still doesn't trust him you know real molasses like and i think there's something to be said about just that built up tension. And like I talked about the thing being one of my favorite movies of all time, but it's because it's a who done it, who do I trust sort of movie. And I love that idea of keeping the, the true villain away from the audience. And we're trying to figure it out just like everyone else. And just like on rear in rear window, we are trying to discover the mystery of who murdered the wife, you know, as we're Jimmy Stewart's character. And so in this movie, I love the little moments that he has when he's, when he tells Senior Bobby, he's like, Oh yeah, you know what kind of pipe tobacco does she smoke? And he's like, she rolls red apples. You know that and stuff. Um, <laughs> she don't smoke a pipe. <laughs> yeah. She rolls her own. But, I think you know this. <laughs> but, and I think that's so fascinating. And I'll give credit to these, this, uh, you know, the Domingue, what are they called? What, what's the gang name? The Domingue. The Domingue gang. Um, Jody Domingue. <laughs> I'll, gi- I'll give them credit because they, for being thrust into a situation where they had to pretend, they didn't really skip a beat and they all sold it pretty well for being these fake personas. But you got to, I mean, you got to probably understand that they're professional criminals and they're used to doing these kind of con jobs. So, um, or at least pretending to be other people. But um, I thought that was really well. But the part that really got it for me was when uh, Marquise walks into the, 
haberdashery after he's in the stables with Bob after he doesn't suspect Bob and he's looking around and it zooms in on on uh, his eyes and he's just looking everywhere listening to the conversations and he kind of looks at, at the jelly bean on the floor and he looks up at the candy gone and, and he's working shit out and I fucking love that that's why 100 I, I love movies like that I love clue that's why I really love knives out because it's just things are things are in motion and I'm an investigator so that's like me I'm like ooh 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 <laughs> jelly beans that's got to be a key <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah, I um I I think it was it was fan freaking tastic. I the, the the only gripe I'm gonna say is is I did, and maybe this is because I watched too many movies. But I actually did r- figure out pretty early on. I was like, it's probably all four of those guys who are the baddies. Well, not Channing Tatum, but I was like, you know, Joe Gage, Bob, and uh, Mowbray are all probably the bad guys. I wanted one of them to be a good guy thrust into it. Cause I was hoping that it, there'd be a little more intrigue. So that was kind of a bummer, but I still had little moments of surprise throughout the film. Like when John Ruth gets poisoned, that really surprised me. I was not expecting him to get poisoned. Uh, the whole Channing Tatum adios to those huevos. Oh my God. Um, yeah. yeah. You forget that he's in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what a surprise. Uh, <laughs> yeah, his name's in the credits. What you're a like, surprise. What? Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that later. That was, that. That was quite a surprise. Notes. I mean, and then even, you know, like with Chris Mannix too, like, uh, I, I think a lot of just stuff he did too really surprised me because he, I would have thought he was a bumbling idiot or I would have thought he was a villain. And there were moments like even towards the end when you're like, is this fucking guy going to really turn on, on Marcus Warren? And I was like, uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I enjoyed the shit out of all the investigative aspects of this film. Right. So Chris Mannix is an anomaly because even when he first gets on board the stagecoach, he offers to buy a drink and dinner for Warren and um, John Ruth. Uh, you know, he's grateful, you know, he which which in some weird way uh, brings an honesty to his character. And um even when uh, he <laughs> you know, he says that he's the sheriff and he says, you know, like uh, he, he talks OB into saying, hey, you heard me identify myself as the sheriff. And so I expect you, OB, you know, to let them know that they let me freeze to death. And um, and I, I kind of like that. And I like how he 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 is smart in his own way, too. Like you call them like a bumbling buffoon for a while, but he figured out the Lincoln letter was fake. Um, he also, um, he knew that it was Joe Gage that poisoned the coffee or my theory, the ugly one did it. Um, (laughs) and, uh, he calls Daisy's bluff on, um, the, the 15 men waiting and out over at Red Rock, Mm -hmm. um, which is still unclear, but I'm inclined to believe that it was a lie as well, since you can't trust a word that she says. Yeah. Yeah. She's, Uh, she's a liar. Yeah, I, I I love Chris Mannix. I think he's so fucking funny. I agree. My daddy. It's funny. <laughs> Definitely, in my opinion, the best character arc of the film. Totally. Um, without a doubt. Just uh, the the three choices you just laid out and described, like he had to make those choices. Mm-hmm. He, he had to um, he, he had to transcend. And I think I think at the end he, he does transcend. You know, they are in that uh, lying on that bed together wearing the same thing, you know, physically they, he transcends and, and they are essentially both wearing the exact same thing as uh, equals at right. the very end. Yeah. You know, cause he puts on uh, uh, Sandy Smithers Confederate coat 
And when they have their guns drawn on the bad guys, one's in a cavalry's officer's uniform and the other is in a Confederate's officer's uniform. <laughs> yeah. And that's really crazy, you know, and they're working together to figure this out and they couldn't be more polar opposites. And, and at the end of the day, it really is only Chris Mannix that his character is allowed to transcend. You know, he's, he's the only one that's given this agency. Everyone else is who they are, you know, and, and he is the one that has to ultimately make these choices and thank God he makes the right ones. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Love it. Agree. Um, so this film had its script leak online and Tarantino was pretty upset about that. Uh, so much so that he, he almost pulled the plug on the whole God dang thing. Uh, and he was going to write it as a novel instead. Uh, then he directed a live table reading of the original script, which had a completely different ending, by the way. Um, and then, uh, you know, um, I'm just curious if if you guys would read the, uh, a novelization of this with it with the original ending, or perhaps would you even see it as a stage play? Would I you would be oh, apt sorry. to go see it. On oh, I stage? would. I would definitely see it. I mean, I'm I, I like plays. And um, I would definitely read it because I think it would just be a literal page turner. But um, like I talked about before, I think it's very much like a play uh, with some with some anomalies in there. Um, You probably couldn't get away with some of the stuff that they they do in it. So it'd be probably a little more boring. But the dialogue is all there. And um, I mean, anything in the stagecoach is just so wonderfully acted and performed and written and yeah, absolutely love Tarantino's script. The guy is just so good at writing. Um, but I would I would 100% see this as a play. So okay, I, Mark. I remember when this leaked online and somehow I managed to avoid any spoilers whatsoever. And I don't even remember um, reading anything about the ending. So now I'm kind of super curious as to <laughs> what that actually is. Um is this still available online? Uh, I mean, you might be able to find it, but I mean, if you Wikipedia, you can find out what the ending what was. A, okay. Yeah. yeah, I would definitely um, be into like reading some sort of alternative. One of the things that bums me out about this particular film is kind of once you know the trick of it, it to me, it loses a lot of the fun in, in rewatching it once you already know the trick. Um, so getting like a different version of it would be super appealing to me um and in terms of like it playing out like a play i really feel like it's uh shot kind of like a play as well um there's a lot of shots i noticed where they just kind of run there there's not a lot of cuts you know when you cut you can manipulate time um and instead there's just no cuts so that people are allowed to uh the, it, the interactions are forced to play out in real time. And I also noticed how, how many times um, they were using the depth of the frame, I think because it's uh, 70 millimeter, right? So, uh, and this is another thing that would work well on the, on a stage where you would have a foreground and a background, but because in this particular film, he did it 70 millimeter, he can have a lot of things very close to the lens mm-hmm. and still utilize a lot of things in the, um, the deep part of the frame. And so there's a lot of forced, um, forcing 
you know, the, the characters to play out behind each other's backs or around uh, corners. And you're constantly reminded of the sense of space that these people are all occupying uh, all because of the way that the lens is forcing them to, to exist on top of each other in the frame or beside each other in the frame. And I think that's another thing that would work really well in sort of a play adaptation is the sense of space that you can create as you move the characters around. Right. So when you watch a play, everybody's looking at something different. You know, you might be looking mm-hmm. at the, cor- the characters that are on the left-hand side. I might be looking at the characters on the right-hand side, not even paying attention to what the actual people are saying. And you get a lot of that in this movie. You're seeing uh, Obi at the table dining by himself, or you're seeing Joe Gage at the table, um, you know, eating peanuts or whatever, writing a letter to his mom. And that's stuff that you wouldn't see traditionally. So you're right with the, the long cuts and seeing that these characters are all there. Even like uh, Kurt Russell, he. I'm pretty sure he decided that he was just going to lay on the floor dead the whole rest of the movie. Like, like he was like, Fuck this, I'm not leaving. This is incredible. Like, this is a real awesome treat to watch yes. these people work. So he's just like, yeah, fuck it. I'm laying here dead. I don't yeah. care. I'm, I'm always going to be here. It's not going to be some other asshole in this I, coat. It's I'm in be the me. scene. Yeah. The continuity. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. I love that. Yeah. He's yeah. like, eh, I'm just going to hang out for a little while. I'll play a dead guy on the ground. That's fine. <laughs> Now, um, assuming that you did see it uh, in the stage play or it was converted into a novel, is there anything that you would like to see changed or do you prefer to stick with the source material? I mean, I think I like I like what Mark was was saying about different endings, Um, taking it like a clue approach almost where it's like you got to check your local newspaper to see ending A, B or C sort of thing. Yes, I would love that. Yeah, (laughs) that'd be so fun. I mean, that would just add a whole other and, and obviously drive up ticket sales. But the performances alone, even if they did a direct adaptation, I'd still see the shit out of this. Cause if you could get the acting quality that you get from everybody in this film, then yeah, hundred percent, I would see it, but I would, I I'm always a sucker for, for changing things up if it really warrants it. And I think for this movie, you totally could. Cause Mark's right on the, on the second rewatch and the third, fourth, fifth, and in Justin's case, the 127th rewatch, <laughs> uh-huh. it's, um, you you I'm know like, maybe Daisy will get away this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe Manix will take it. You, yeah, you take know that deal. yeah, you know that's not gonna happen. Um and so I instead focus on the things that, that Major Warren picks up, you know, the little things, the the little clues throughout the film. Um, like here's one. Uh did you know that Oswaldo, the reason when we first meet Oswaldo and Daisy and John, Daisy and John are trying to get coffee. And then Daisy loudly says, the new sheriff Red Rock's with us. And then Oswaldo looks at the ground and he's like, oh, the new sheriff of Red Rock is with you really loud because he's trying to alert Jody. And and I had to read that on Reddit because I saw a film thing of that. I'm like, oh, my God, that totally makes sense. And I I noticed it this viewing, too. So there's just little shit that you pick up on. But the plot I could totally see with a, a better twist, maybe from like a different version. Right. And so, yeah, that's definitely something that I picked up on. Uh, not the first watch, but after seeing it a thousand times. And even when she talks about um, he's like, I'll be a monkey's uncle. And she's like, good, you can share bananas with your you know, your friend in a stable. Uh, she's also saying that there's another person with them, not just the sheriff, but also, you know, uh, another another passenger is with them. Uh, that's in that exact same scene. Oh, yeah, that's she's, true. She's, she's literally saying that there are two passengers that are with them. And that's why that's why John Ruth is like, what the fuck did I tell you about talking? You <laughs> yeah. know, because he can't trust anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. 
Yeah, okay. it's crazy. All right, so The Hateful Eight is easily one of my favorite performances uh, by Samuel L. Jackson. Um, I've seen nearly all of his films, uh, except for when he was credited as Black Man, uh, <laughs> the record show. Uh, and this one really stands out for me. You know, um, Even with this incredible cast, including my spirit animal, Kurt Russell, who's also my Patronus, and throw that out there. Um, you know, it all, and, and of course, the always amazing Walton Goggins. Fucking love that guy. You know, Bra- Jackson brings his A game. Um, where do you rank his performance, and what are some of your favorite roles that he's done over the years? Samuel Jackson, that is. Uh, this 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 was a great performance. Um, I think it was the strongest of his performances with Tarantino. I I really like his Jackie Brown performance as well. Yeah, Odell Roby. But um, yeah, I think aside from that, this is probably his strongest Tarantino performance. Um, I've been having fun seeing him play Nick Fury. It's it's fine, you know. Uh, and then I think the most fun role i've seen him in recently obviously with snakes on a plane yeah <laughs> forget just, about that movie just fun you know yeah that he's really good movie. in Django as well uh steven yeah that character is just a little bit harder for me to watch um he's horrible he's like yeah. the most despicable man in but he does a great job of, oh, <laughs> you're, cinema you're right about that he's it's so just, good in that movie but it's he just, is a piece of it's shit. a really hard one for me to watch yeah. <laughs> that role like, when he's talking to um, Brumhilda and he's like, why is it my scaring you? <laughs> you know, he's yeah. like, oh, my God, he's uh, the most evil man ever. So evil. Fucking hate him. Oh. Oh, Django, you uppity. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. What about you, Zach? So I, I, I think Django is, is one of his. Th- this is his best role, in my opinion, um, because he just completely commands the film. And I think it's. You know, we talk about Mannix's arc being being the best. And while I, I don't disagree with that, I think this movie is Marcus Warren's because it, it, you really just get to see. I mean, he is the detective. He is mm-hmm. the the Clouseau. He's the, the, He's the, the protagonist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. And um, Her- Hercule Poiret or whatever from the Agatha Christie books. And. Did I say that right? I think I said that right. Anyways, uh, Pulp Fiction, obviously, you know, Jules, he, he did phenomenal in that. And that was really when you get the, hmm, it's a tasty mm-hmm. burger. Like, I mean, I quote yeah. that a lot, too. Yeah, yeah this <laughs> yeah. is a tasty burger. Yeah, it's the one that says bad motherfucker. So, <laughs> yeah. easy, honey. Think I'll walk to earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. like Kane on Kung Fu. Go from place to place. Walk to new adventures. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. This is some serious gourmet shit. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I think that that's like a really memorable role. Uh, honestly, Zeus from uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. I really loved him in that movie. <laughs> you call me Jesus. I like Puerto Rican to you. <laughs> He's like, we got to pick that up, man. What if some kid like comes and plays with it? <laughs> so um, and then, uh, you know, and this is an interesting role, but I think it's more just because of uh, what it meant for the universe. But uh, Nick Fury in, in the Avengers universe, I don't think it was like his best performance, but in the sense of he is Nick Fury and what it did for the whole Avengers, the, the MCU was was pretty phenomenal. I mean, it's he's Sam Jackson. He's just playing Sam Jackson. That's how I imagine him, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I, I would put that up there, too. I like him as Nick Fury. Me too. So Dahmer Goo's got a secret. We were talking about this earlier. Now, I really enjoy this film, but one thing that has never sat well with me is when the narrator, Tarantino himself, breaks the immersion and informs us about the poison in the coffee. Um, I I get that he didn't want to take away from Warren's story, 
But it just seems odd. And I don't think that we needed this explanation, especially when there is a shot of the bottle being poured into the coffee pot and then shaken to mix the poison. That would have worked for me if it just cut to Daisy doing one of her evil glares uh, to show that she saw it all go down. And I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts. And are you okay with this interruption? You saw it, of course, with the intermission and came back to it. Like, uh, it's it's basically, this is only here in case there was an intermission. <laughs> right. But I'm curious if you feel that it adds or takes away from the story. Well, I think that context is really important, right? Like, if, if you don't have the intermission, like when I was just watching, actually, when I was watching it for this, I, I legit paused it. Um, once, <laughs> once the narration started, I literally was like, wait, where's the intermission? And I paused it and I took my own intermission. I even told Zach, I like finished the movie the next day. I was like, no, <laughs> yeah. I want an intermission. Um, so I think without the intermission, that narration comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and it's instantly like, wait, why, why is this an, an element, um, a technical element, right? Voiceover. It's a technical element that is drawing attention to itself. Why? Um, and I completely agree. It, it's interrupt. It, it interrupts you. It takes you out of the thing. When you have the narration, it really, or sorry, when you have the, that, um, that break, it really draws you back in. I think, um, whereas here, I completely agree with you. So for this, it's all about the context, whether or not you take that intermission. Mm -hmm. And I think if, if it, let's just pretend for a second that it is a stage play and this whole incident's going down, we could very well see a spotlight shining down on the coffee pot. And, you know, uh, the characters is, is cloaked in black and we just see their hand pouring something into the coffee pot and mixing it up. That would work in a stage play. You could totally do that. Uh, an amateur a high school production can do that in two seconds. Uh, but if if when this story is happening, it, I easily think that they could have just shown the shot of uh, since we're so already used to hearing voices in the background. And just uh, if we were just kind of captivated as being um, guests in Minnie's haberdashery, uh, we could easily be Daisy Domregu watching someone poison the coffee mm -hmm. so i do think that it's that it's weird that it exists especially since you know major warren the entire film he pretty much knows what's going on and, and he's working this shit out and if he misses that you're like whoa even he doesn't know this sort of thing right so i think that would have added to it but just like what mark was saying the intermission was was pretty awesome because aside from being just a novelty that i've never experienced during a movie um I enjoyed that Netflix made these the extended cut of this and turned it into four one hour basically episodes. So it was almost like a mini series. So you could watch, you know, the first two episodes and then put it on pause and you have that gap and then it picks up where you kind of left off and it has that that forced intermission. But I agree. It's it seemed kind of out of place. I was like, wait, right. what? Why is Tarantino? Oh, he's doing his thing where he puts himself yeah. in each movie he's in. Right. It really felt like his auteur moment of like, <laughs> yeah. oh, let's not forget. It's a Tarantino. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is the eighth film of Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> I have to do that. It says it everywhere, but I have to do that. <laughs> I I haven't watched the Netflix version of this and I was going to for this one. But uh, when you text me saying uh, we were talking theatrical version. Yeah. I decided to save it for another day but that is on my list i want to see if it if it plays any different yeah, they're like uh 50 minute segments yeah there's like there's more talking um there's really not 
that much, but I really do enjoy it. Cause I mean, I, you're talking to a guy who, who loves the extended cuts of Lord of the Rings and that's like 27 <laughs> yeah. hours long, you know? So it's, I'm a guy that loves that shit. So I would eat this up. Plus it's way more manageable when you feel better about watching like two, one hour episodes and you're like, right. cool, I'll pick it up later sort of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hopefully it has become sort of my commute, uh, movie <laughs> like no joke. Cause like I'm in the car for like three hours. And so, um, I have it on as almost like a radio show. And so I literally know this whole fucking movie by heart. It's crazy. And, uh, it's just fun as I'm, as I'm on my journey and, and I can go to work and get home and the movie be over. It's just kind of insults me because of my commute in some weird way. <laughs> but at the same time, I get something out of it. So I don't mind it so much. It's kind of fun. We were talking the other day about um, people that like Hamilton and they just fucking listen to the soundtrack in their car. And I'm like, well, I kind of do that with fucking hate boy. <laughs> There's no music. It's more talk and talk, but it's essentially the same thing. Talk when you talk. look at it as a play, then I'm essentially listening to the play in my car, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. Of course, there is some jarring scores uh, throughout the, the movie. Yeah. Especially when it cuts to the outside. It's like the quietest movie inside the haberdashery. But then once it cuts to the blizzard, you're just like, Jesus Christ, dude, turn down the turn down the volume. It's yeah. too much. It's like when a commercial comes on when you're watching TV and the commercial is like 50 billion decibels more than the show that you're watching. Mm-hmm. It's always obnoxious. But yeah. anyway, let's discuss John Roof, the hangman. Uh, while I could talk at great lengths about this character, I'd really like to hear your thoughts on this man. Who is John Ruth? What's he all about? And why did he die and could it have been avoided? Mark. Oh, John Ruth, he is the hangman, uh, indeed. So he's obviously somebody who cares a great deal about the law and who cares. I don't know. I think a lot about what his role is in terms of like, is he some sort of representation of ethics? Um, going back to like the frontier justice conversation that happens with, uh, you know, with the, the other characters if to me this person feels like almost like a standard uh, an ethical standard of what you know society represents or or a kind of aspires to be and that's why you know if he catches you you hang he's like holding he's trying to hold the entire system to this certain standard i think to kind of add value to it um you know like the I guess the the flip side of this coin would be like the fake Lincoln letter that Warren has, right? And at the end, they um, they sort of read it f- to to punctuate, you know, this ideal. Even though we know that it's fake, they're trying to to elevate it to this certain place. And I really feel like that's what uh, John Ruth does: is he tries to elevate ethics to this place where you're going to serve. Uh, you're you're gonna hang. You're yeah. gonna be held accountable. What is it? What's this line, Justin? Only mean sons of bitches hang, or something like that. Yeah, you uh, you, you only, only have, have to mean hang. bastards. Yeah, yeah. You only have to hang mean bastards, but mean bastards you gotta hang. Yeah. It, well, but oh, go ahead. Oh, so I mean, and 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 just to to piggyback off of that a little bit too. You know, I think that he kind of from from the get go, uh, Major Warren kind of. He's foreshadowing to us that that John Ruth's eventual death could have been avoided because Marcus Warren tells him, 
in the stable, you know, he's like, my bounties never hang because I never bring him in alive. And John Ruth's like, never. And Marcus Warren's like, never, ever. We talked about this in Chattanooga. Bringing desperate men in alive is a good way to get yourself dead. And so on my second, you know, and well, this isn't my second viewing. But yeah, he said, and he says that, well, they can't catch me if I ain't sleeping. He's like, I don't want to work that hard. No one says, no one said the job's supposed to be that easy. It's supposed to be easy. No one's supposed, no one said it's supposed to be hard neither. <laughs> so it's exactly. Like, what are you doing here, man? This is crazy. Well, exactly. And, and, and to the ethics thing. Yeah. He, he has this kind of ethical dilemma where he, he wants to do these things and he wants to hang them. And Warren's like, I'm still going to get paid. And these guys are dead. And I don't have a bunch of desperate, you know, outlaws after me to try to free Daisy Domergue or anything like that. So it's so interesting because it really sets up his demise. And um, I mean, he'd still be with us today if he had listened to Marcus Warren. <laughs> right. So I, I think there's a an arrogance about him, right? Yeah. You know, he he's just, uh, you know, he has this hubris like I am the I am the fucking hangman and I'm not going to I'm not going to cheat out that the hangman's noose. But I mean, he's always he, he he's he's not even keeping a good secret. He's like, you don't know who this is. This is Daisy Domergue. She's got a bounty on her head for $10,000. He's literally telling somebody she's worth $10,000 dead or alive. So you can kill me, you can kill her, and you can collect your $10,000. And then even when he's in the the haberdasher, he's like, all right, everyone, listen up. This here's Daisy Domergue. You know, she's wanted dead or alive for murder. When that sun comes out, I'm taking this woman to hang. Now, is there anybody here committed to stopping me from doing that? And it's like, dude, you're just telling everybody to fucking murder you right now. It's so crazy that he just walks yeah. with this arrogance. And he's a larger-than-life character in this movie. He's got this, this booming voice, this big jacket, um, he just looks like a big burly of a beast of a man. And and I feel like, um, you know, he wants everyone to know that he's in the room when he's there. You know, he's even like, you know, going, he goes up to Joe Gage and, and they were there first. And he's like, I'm not staying with anybody. I don't know. And I don't know. you. <laughs> so I was like, well, you can fucking leave guy. I mean, I was here first. I'm just writing a letter. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> but I mean, he just takes charge of everywhere he goes. And uh, he's, he is a, a mighty bastard, like uh, Major Warren says. He's, he's kind of a piece in yeah. a lot of ways. You were talking about uh, how he sounds like John Wayne a bit too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and so you have, I don't know if you're familiar with the John Wayne syndrome or the hero complex, um, but it's something that affects, uh, something that I, I've only heard of in like the police community, and it has a, something to do with your ability to properly calculate risks oh, wow. um, and develop <laughs> the proper response to things. So yeah, um, John Wayne syndrome or being like a cowboy in situations is a, is a real thing. Um, I think that he also suffered from. Yeah, I could totally see that because at times you think he's, he's, you know, calm, cool and collected, but then he also just kind of drops his guard and, I mean, you know, with coffee and stuff like that, obviously. Yeah, he sets his gun down 6,000 times and, and, in and, this movie. Yeah, and I mean, even with all those people, it's good he takes the guns, but it's just there's so many moments when you're like, wow, and you're trusting him and you're trusting this, and it's just there's a lot that goes on with it. Um, so I, I question some of his actions, but I, I totally could see that, the, the John Wayne syndrome. It's... I mean, that's that's probably what could lead to his demise. He knows, though, too, when he it's it's very subtle. But when you watch it, 
um, when he drinks the coffee, he kind of like licks his lips. And then um, after he smashes the guitar and throws the coffee out, he knows he's all nervous. He knows that he drinks something because he's playing with the coffee cup. Yeah, and he's he real fidgety. He's yeah. like mm-hmm. super fidgety. And that's why he, he chains himself up to Daisy. And then she's freaking out about it. But I, I'll give him that. But yeah, it's like, fuck. <laughs> right. I would have just shot her right then and there. I know that's just it. Right. But he has this this weird code. Right. And he knows that that they even talk about it. He goes, one of them fellas is not who they say they are. Maybe two. Right? He, maybe <laughs> two. Yeah. And she even says, you know, he's absolutely like, you know, what do I think about John? John Ruth ravings, you know, like he's raving like a madman. Uh, he's absolutely right. One of me, me and one of them fellas is in cahoots. And, you know, she's she's not hiding anything. She plays a creeper really, really well. Yeah. Even when he's like bleeding blood all over her face and she's just laughing oh after God. her teeth got knocked out. So gross. Yeah. Fucking bloodborne pathogens all up in her business. And she's just cracking up. I saw AIDS. I saw the AIDS in the air. Yes, it was bad news bears dude um but he is 100 i think you're i think you're right the, the john wayne syndrome he's literally he he's he even calls out the risk he knows what he's getting himself into he's literally stepping into the into the lion's den he drops his gun down he's even asking like oswaldo you know like like he fucking runs the place he's like where's the well water where's the coffee <laughs> beans where's the fucking bar you got anything to drink in here and it's like dude, I don't work here. <laughs> Back the fuck off. Yeah. Like he's just so used to everybody just doing something for him. It's so weird. And it's, it's, it's crazy. And everyone, but he's so big and burly that you just kind of like, all right, whatever. Calm down guy. Yeah. He's just, he's just that guy. He's just that fucker. Yeah, man. Oh, stresses me out. Fucking John Ruth. So who the fuck is Daisy Domergu? You know, she's <laughs> she's a bit of a loony. I dare say Crazy Town oh, Banana yeah. Pants. And and how would you rate Jennifer Jason Lee's performance in The Hateful Eight? And you know, would you like to see her in more films? Uh, obviously, she's been acting across like four fucking decades. Uh, but I'm not sure how many of you um, know films other than fucking Fast Times at Ridgemont High that she's been in. But I'm just curious, uh, you know, how would you rate her performance and would you like to see her do more stuff specifically with Tarantino since you know how good she is? Yeah, and he brings out the best in people. I, I mean, I, I really loved her performance in this. I thought she was so creepy, like you're saying, getting her teeth knocked out, laughing. I mean, even getting her brother's brain shot on her face and just she's still willing to wheel and deal to save her life. And you don't trust her because she's a she's a lying bitch. So but she's she's evil. I love the mannerism she had and the little lines. That you, you gotta nail it shut and just keeps yeah, yelling. Really that. Nailing it. Um, and yeah, when so when great. John Ruth is explaining to the, the haberdashery who she is and, you know, I'm taking her to hang and she does the whole little hang thing. Yeah. Um, tilts her head to the side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, she's yeah. she's so funny. And just the shit she does and mm. the look she has when when it's a, uh, you know, it shows her leaning her head up and looking at Marcus and everyone else after she gets her nose broken. And it's it's super creepy, man. Um, the only things I can really think of her from, she was in Backdraft. I do remember that. I don't remember mm-hmm. what character she played. But then she was in this other movie called um, Good Time. And that was a newer movie in the past, probably like five years. It was with Robert Pattinson. It was a Safety Brothers joint. But she was in that. And then obviously Fast Times, too. But yeah, I, I don't really I think she was single white female as well. Yeah, she's the crazy friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I haven't uh, I haven't seen a lot of her stuff, but I mean, I think she was nominated for an Oscar for this role, too. I could be she's wrong. Pretty good. 
Yeah, I mean, I really could be wrong. But I think the the really cool thing that Tarantino does is he takes these these artists and these actors who were were kind of in disarray or, or they just they were out of obscurity, maybe. Right, um, I haven't worked in a while. Yeah, like John Travolta. Reinvents them. Absolutely. And he even gives um, debuts to people. So like John Travolta and like Tim Roth. He kind of really, I think, jump-started Tim Roth's career. Uh, same thing with Michael Madsen, kind of, you know, obscurity sam jackson he we talked about mark said you know 1989 he played black man <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you know a few years later in pulp fiction he is jules um pam greer uh, you know jackie brown sure. she was great in that christoph waltz started him i had no idea who he was until uh inglorious bastards and then same thing with kurt russell too in the 90s he was kind of like eh, like he did what um fucking uh, snake plissken part two whatever yeah, <laughs> escape from, from la, LA. <laughs> yeah. and I mean, uh, but kurt russell's always been working sure he just, he just you know had a lot of the same kind of roles and then stuntman you know, mike a challenging one like <laughs> stuntman mike where he's mm-hmm. a fucking bad guy he's yeah. like a fucking serial killer he was and that's gross weird. he's eating nachos all gross <laughs> yeah he was edgy bro he was really he eats, a big, <laughs> he eats a big kahuna burger in that too oh. yeah does he? It's all oh, part yeah. of the whole universe. Oh, it's yeah. Crazy. Red apple yeah. cigarettes and stuff. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. they're all connected. Yeah, yeah and you know, uh, Pam Greer, she uh, she was also an escape from L.A., throwing that out there. But oh, yeah. um, in fact, they couldn't even shoot Jackie Brown because she was doing that, and they had to wait until that was done because uh, mm. he really wanted her for that role because, you know, she hadn't, she was really prominent in like the, like the exploitation movies and TV shows and stuff like that in the 70s. Um, he loved her. Yeah, she's great. I fucking love Pam Greer. Totally. Yeah. What about you, Mark? Daisy Domergue? Who the fuck is Daisy <laughs> Domergue? She. I. I loved the performance. I thought it was. I thought it was hilarious. Um, she. You know, this is such a physical film. Um, and she's surrounded by men, big men, and um, she holds her own the whole film. She mm-hmm. just is hilarious. She's chained up to, you know, uh, she's chained up to one of the biggest men for most of the film. And she just plays it very, very well. I, I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was the best reaction uh, that character could, could have in most of those scenarios, um, which are just ridiculous scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of what I can remember her in, the only thing that really comes to mind is Annihilation. She's in that? Mm-hmm. She's one of the doctors. Oh. I got 15 minutes of that movie and turned it off. If I never quit a movie, and I could not stand Annihilation. That one didn't do it for you. Interesting. No. I've never seen it. Oh, wow. okay. Alex so, Garland. Yeah, pretty, I know. I think I need to watch flick, it. I think. Our oh. buddy Aaron Bean's like, oh, you got to see Annihilation. Yeah, it's... <laughs> He's I, got terrible taste. In yeah, I don't know. That he does. Like yeah, he does. On that, he's uh, like, you guys got to do the fountain, and I'm like, I don't know. Oh, I want to do the fountain. Oh, um, <laughs> I think I'm going to be sick that day. <laughs> so annihilation, it's cool gimmick. I I think it has a really beautiful score to it, and a lot of the sound effects are kind of super interesting, especially at the end when you finally see the the thing and. Uh, visually it's really cool and auditorially it's really cool it's it's cool 
Yes. Mm-hmm. It has its moment, but I okay. can understand okay. why it's not a favorite around these parts. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> he, did, like, <laughs> he did Ex Machina, and, you know, he wrote, I know yeah. he wrote 28 Days Later, which is cool. So, I mean, he, he's, the director's a talented man. Uh, yeah. It's just, as I started the movie, and fucking, I mean, I love so many of the people that are in this film, right? Like, I love Benedict Wong. I love fucking Natalie Portman. I love Tessa Thompson. Oh. I love fucking Oscar Isaac, for crying out loud. And I started the movie, and I'm like, ah, I'm not in the right headspace for this movie. <laughs> that sigh says it all. Yeah. yeah it's like, uh, it's like, it's basically been a four-hour movie. Nope, it's been 15 minutes. All right. I mean, let me just go ahead and hit the pause, and I'll, I'll come back to this movie. I feel yeah. I feel yeah. She gives a good performance, though. She does. Um, oh, you mean in, in Annihilation? Yeah, I'm sure she does. And she's great in fucking uh, Hateful Eight, especially when uh, she's trying to cut a deal with Chris and the camera kind of circles around her. Oh, yeah. Um, it's really cool. And she's like, yeah, I ain't going to be able to get away with more than one body per horse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's got like that, that raspy thing going on. Like she's just had a day, you know. She's done what, the most. That's what's, um, what's you know, you, we mentioned Reservoir Dogs earlier and What's interesting about that movie is we don't see the robbery, right? We just see the fallout from the robbery. Whereas in this movie, we don't see her getting taken by John Ruth. We just see the events after he gets his bounty, which I think is also interesting. No time was wasted. We're already in the middle of this journey, which I always can appreciate. I'm a fan of that sort of thing. I don't need that much setup. Yeah, and they both just turn into like escalating like unsure of who did what and the finger pointing mm-hmm. yeah both have both are very similar pressure cooker scenarios yeah 100 mm-hmm. i actually have a really funny story about um jennifer jason lee uh, my buddy dave from geek legacy podcast he was the first ad on a film and she was in it and uh she asked for some room temperature water and a pa got her cold water Uh And she threw a ridiculous fit. Like, she was so upset. Like, how dare you bring me this cold water? The fuck is the matter with you? And the guy's like, easy fast times. (laughs) (laughs) And he became immediately, this PA was a legend. Yes. Unfortunately, David had to fire him. <laughs> oh yeah, you're getting fired for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's awesome. Like, it, David equates it to like the um, the fucking Ant Man Baskin Robbins, where he's like, "Whoa, you served hard time. That's fucking awesome." I still gotta fire you, but you know, it's pretty fucking cool. Like that's exactly what he felt like. He's like, "Oh, like I, I think it's great what you said, but I gotta let you go." Well, and to yeah. be honest, it's not that unreasonable. Like, if you go to craft service and ask for a bottle of water, they're going to ask you, do you want room temp or cold? They like, probably ask you that because Jennifer Jason Lee made a scene once. <laughs> she's, she's the reason why we have room temperature water on yeah. set. I'm a, I'm a sucker for room temperature water because I just want to drink it really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's cold, then I got to kind of sip it, you know? And oh, so I, 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 like I to feel the shit out of it. I'm with but you. But yeah, easy fast times. That's, that's great. Yeah, he shared that story with me like the second it happened. That was so great. Oh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Check God bless privilege. you. That's amazing. Yeah. That is pretty funny. All right. So uh, one of my favorite parts of the story is when Major Warren and Chris Mannix have Joe Gage, Oswaldo, and Senior Bob up against the wall and discuss the events that have played out, particularly when um, Marcus Warren explains how he knew that da- that damn sure was Minnie's stoop. You know, like Uncle Charlie, 
from the time I was a whippa <laughs> to the time I was a full grown man. Uh, I love that whole story. Uh, and I was blown <laughs> away when Jody shot Warren through the basement. And I needed a chance to breathe after that. And I'm just curious, what are some of your favorite scenes? I know we talked about a couple, but if you want to elaborate, now is the time. Because that fucking moment, I literally forgot that Shane Tatum was in this movie. I saw his name in the credits. And I was like, oh, fucking Shane Magic Mike's in this shit. And then um, I forgot about it. And then, holy shit, there he is. And I'm like, what? Uh, but what about you guys? What are some of your favorite scenes? Mark. Uh, the scene I'll never forget. I still remember the first time watching it in the theater with you, Zach, is just when they're in that uh, stagecoach and r- the very first time uh, Ruth hits Domergu. Holy yeah. cow. I, it made such a profound impact because it just comes out of nowhere so fast. And the sound effects and the crunching of the bone and just like the the pure brutality, the puncturing of the the moment with that. Oh, I'll never forget. It, yeah, I definitely let out a gasp and a nervous chuckle. Yeah. Just because it's like, so Should I like, be laughing or should I be right. like, what the fuck? Yeah. I don't want to see a woman get hit like that. Yeah, but, but Marcus Warren even says it too. He's like, "Don't you have any reservations about that or whatever?" I don't know the line, but you know, he's like, "She's no woman," or you know, the shit that she's done, basically. And I'm surmising, but John Ruth is like, I, "I'm going to treat her like this because she's an evil person." I still, but just like you're saying, Mark, I still was like, "Oh, like, don't yeah. you got to stop hitting her? I, I can't do this." Or even of when course, like Warren yeah. punches her, you know, and she flies out of the stagecoach with John Ruth. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know they hit her repeatedly throughout the film and it sort of loses its luster uh, yeah. as it goes on but man yeah those first couple of times that uh, yeah that that got under the skin <laughs> yeah i agree i think the poison for me when when i because i was not expecting him to violently vomit blood like that and that really even watching it today i'm like i don't like this it makes me like queasy almost just because like i've never been poisoned i don't know if that's a, the, the reaction but it just was so intense yeah, I think it was cutting a bleed like a literally like alien blood burning a hole through his stomach to where it was bleeding. Yeah, it was what kind of poison that they have back in the you know eighteen hundreds. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy Them stuff, apothecary man. Types. <laughs> yeah, um, so that was very very fascinating. But um, and then also when uh, Marquis Warren is in the stable, like, and he first walks into Minnie's haberdashery, and I talked about it earlier where he's he's figuring things out. I really really loved that. The, just you know, I'm offering you help in the middle of a blizzard and you're going to say no. Everything that Bob was doing is suspicious. And I mean, that's how my mind works. I'd be like, who the fuck is this Bob guy? Mm-hmm. Um, all the music building up. I think, Justin, you were talking about that, too. When when they're when OB and Chris are outside hammering the stakes into the snow to lead to the outhouse and that music just gets up and it cuts off right before a crescendo. It's super loud. And then it just goes to nothing once they're inside. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, I was already at like, you know, peak, <laughs> peak mm-hmm. level heightened awareness. And now I'm just like, what, what is going on? So um, I, I think those are some of my favorite parts. I, I wish I could say the entire film, though. Yeah, I mean, you can. It's, it's pretty <laughs> fucking good. dude. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Yeah, it's a good one. He's good. What about you, Justin? Do you have any other favorite ones? Uh, so I like every moment in the stagecoach. Uh, yeah, I think I think the whole stagecoach ride. I like how they're kind of swaying back and forth, like it is just the bumpiest fucking road in all of Wyoming. I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, I like how they're smoking their pipes and just having this conversation. Um, I, for me, it really gets me in the mood because 
it's really hard for me to like Westerns. I, I, I like a handful of them, and Kurt Russell just happens to be in a bulk of them. <laughs> Bone Tomahawk. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, don't get me started on that one. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's, it's something about how it felt like a place that I never want to go. Like, I, I really appreciate I think it was shot in, like, Colorado and Texas and stuff, but um, it is absolutely just the way it was shot. I'm just like, fuck this place. I never want to go. I hate the snow. As someone that lived in the Pacific Northwest, I never want to see another ounce of snow again. <laughs> I don't even want to hold a fucking snow globe. I hate snow so much. I'm just not a fan. Um, but what cool thing about the haberdashery was I really like the how it was just all in one place. I, I just dug that. And so I feel like it's just one giant scene once they get to the haberdashery. So it's it. I really only have two favorite scenes. It's the stagecoach and everything in the haberdashery. <laughs> uh, when, it, when it boils down to it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one thing that this movie made me do was some research. And I'm certainly not a Civil War buff. And so when I heard John Ruth call Chris Mannix Reb, I was like, what the fuck does he mean by that? And then so I, I Googled it. And it was boys fighting in the South were called Johnny Reb. And folks fighting for the North were called Billy Yank. And I had never heard that until I saw this movie. And can any of you think of any films where you didn't understand the dialogue and then you had to go home and like fucking Google it? <laughs> um, I think Mark and I were kind of talking about this before. But for me, probably movies like any type of uh, gang or movie gang movie that's really visceral. So like blood in blood out that movie. Some of the shit they say, I'm like, what? But that movie also kind of shook me when I was a kid. I'm like, I don't want to be in a gang ever. I don't ever want to go to prison either. <laughs> you get stabbed. Matos locos forever. Oh, my God. Uh, the Big Short. So any movie that deals with like uh, finance and, and things that I am like, what? It's it's an explain it to me like I'm five sort of scenario. And in The Big Short, they do a really good job of explaining that kind of stuff. But you have to have a quick mind to anything Aaron Sorkin writes too. Um, you kind of have to have the same thing. So, I mean, I love the social network, but there were moments when I'm like, wait, wait, wait slow down, slow down. I got to write this down. <laughs> um, uh, Wall Street, another one too. That one I, I really liked uh, as a kid, but I was like, I don't get any of it. Oh, or trading places. Um, the whole futures thing. I'm like, what are they doing? They're selling oranges. And then mm-hmm. never understood futures, but I do now. Um, and then also if you get a movie that is uh, based out of an area with maybe like a harder dialect. So like the town where they use a lot of slang. Um, I think that movie could be a good example of it. For the most part, it's a pretty straightforward film. But, you know, when they have to literally explain what a townie is. And I'm like, <laughs> right. I'm like what's a townie? So just some of the shit that that they say, it's, it's kind of hard to pick up on. Um, yeah, Snatch is, is the same kind of way. When it's, when it's a real heavy accent, you're like, what? Oh, yeah, well, he's a jippo. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say anything by Guy Ritchie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. the slang is so fascinating. Yeah. They're, talking, they're speaking English English. You know the different. slang I really like uh, is uh, Canadian slang, Letterkenny. Uh, I, that show I haven't has jumped on that. I heard it's really funny, though. Fantastic slang that I just never heard before, like ripping a dart is slang for smoking a cigarette. <laughs> what? Yeah, ripping a dart. Um, okay. Just has some of the most refreshing language that, you know, Trailer Park Boys was all, always a good Canadian slang show, but I feel like Letter Kenny kind of took it to a whole nother level because it's super quick wit. That is fascinating. I've heard many a good things about Letter Kenny. Yeah, I'd say if, if any show has had me look up 
dialogue that it's probably letter kenny yeah okay. well, that's cool yeah i'm always curious um i know like you you mentioned guy Ritchie, and when i watched snatch in the theater i was like i have no idea what the fuck yeah <laughs> i mean it's funny i mean i, I kind of had an idea but um you get a general sense of what yeah. they're saying but, but they don't know what he's saying either which makes it funny they're like <laughs> looking at each other like dags <laughs> i like dags oh, dogs yeah i like dags <laughs> like caravans more oh yeah that's pretty great uh so i'm a fan of movies that take place in very few locations uh, something about cabin fever or just you know the story taking place over the course of a very short time uh sometimes hours or even just one night um, there's no time to fuck around. And even Jody says uh, the name of the game is patience. Uh, yet we're just watching the tension boil over. Can you think of any other films that brought this sort of tension to the table that took place in only a few settings? The thing. Sure. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Oh, that yeah. movie starts off with tension where they're just shooting at a yeah. fucking dog from a helicopter for like 20 minutes in the, in the credits. You're just like. Okay, I get it. The dog is running. Quit shooting at it. And then <laughs> that whole part. Yeah. So, like in this movie, they just swap out the thing for a blizzard. Yeah. Go. Yeah. It's <laughs> you that, know, like have a monster hiding in plain sight. That's my. It's just it's, the reason why it's one of my favorites is because of that heightened tension. And mm-hmm. I love mindless action films. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, I also really love substance behind those too. And so things like Total Recall, like I've talked about, how much I love because just the ideas behind it. And Hell it's yeah. same thing with the thing where you still, even at the end of the film, you're like, okay, well, what actually happened? And is McCready is is he infected? Like, is he actually him, or you know, is Childs? What, what, what's up with him? And so I think it's just so fascinating. And and Carpenter leaves that movie on a cliffhanger for a reason. And he and Tarantino kind of does that with this. I mean, most likely Mannix and and Warren are gonna die, but you don't really know either. I mean, mm-hmm. anything could really happen. And, um, and yeah, it's, I, I think the thing is, is very, uh, that's, that's probably the best example I can think of for the tension for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, alien is another good one, but I also think of the movie, uh, event horizon. Oh, Ooh, yeah. That, you know, we did that on this show. Yeah. So that's another good one where like they're, you know, it's a bottle episode where they're on yeah. the ship the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I love bottle episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm 100% okay with that. I like it when someone's just trapped in a place and it's yep. just, how are we going to get out? Are we going to get out? You know, that's, that's always, uh, <laughs> that's the dicey. game. Yeah. How many people are going to, oh, that guy's going to die. <laughs> like, when, you see him, <laughs> when the movie comes on, you're like, oh, that guy's fucking totally dead. <laughs> yeah. I, I also think movies too that, you know, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross has a lot of tension, but it's, it's, it's a weird type of tension. Because you kind of know you're figuring it out as it goes along that Jack Lemon, he's not telling the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Yeah, and, he lies the whole movie. And and you're just it, it, it's like watching a car wreck. You're like, oh, I can't look away sort of thing. So that, that's a really good one. You know, obviously a play as well. David Mamet. And then One Night in Miami. Same kind of thing. That was a play. But um, I really, really love that movie just for how how much it built around the social justice aspect and, and there was this tension between these friends and what, what's the right thing to do and what's not the right thing to do and things to be said to people who you love. It's like, yeah, but I got, I got to tell you the, the true, true right now. So um, it's interesting. Uh, clue, obviously clue is, clue is another one. That's more of a comedic uh, point, but I, I really felt tension in that. I'm like, Ooh, who done it? You know, um, gone girl is, is, is a good one too, where, 
if you didn't read the book, the book was like the the first page turner I've ever read other than Harry Potter. But the Gone Girl was, was fascinating. And then also A Quiet Place. That movie builds a lot of tension, especially the last like 30 minutes where, you know, John Krasinski's trying to run around to get the kids. But then Emily Blunt's having a baby, but then she has to be quiet. But then she steps on a nail and you're just like, give me a second to breathe. Jesus Christ. Right. And that one's different because it plays with like your senses. Yeah. Right? Like, it's a movie yeah. where you can't talk. And there's you just want to scream bloody murder, but you can't. You don't even want to scream in the theater because you're afraid the monsters are going to hear you. Yeah. Crazy how that works. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a really awesome experience to have. And I mean, there are places like at um, in Austin uh, at um, Alamo Draft House, like one of my favorite theaters. They had food themed off of it. So all the servers wore slippers so they didn't make sounds. And you <laughs> you couldn't order popcorn. You could only order like soft foods. And just so you, you know, you didn't take away from the noise. And I thought that that was so fascinating. Oh, man, my fucking dad shakes his bag of popcorn a thousand <laughs> times. And it's always at the quietest moment of the fucking movie, too. Does he add anything to, like, make it louder, like milk duds rattling around? <laughs> no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. But he's oh my got God. mighty hands and he shakes the <laughs> shit out of that bag of popcorn. I just like look at him like, dude, you're fucking killing me right now. Just side eye shade. That is an- yeah. another reason I I might prefer movies at home. I don't think I do prefer movies at home, but but I mean that is one good reason behind him. I'm like, eh, it's on the list. Yeah, it's like it's like literally the most like heightened moment of the movie. Like who's gonna die? The guns yeah. pointed at everyone, and then here, I'm just like. Fucking dad, you're killing me. <laughs> really, guy? Oh, yeah. it's so funny. Yeah. Oh, Stresses me out. All right, then. So Tarantino films are usually shot in a unique style with some dynamic camera angles and close-ups. We like to talk about the guy in the in the trunk every time they open up a trunk. Uh, open up the stagecoach, and hey, look at that. There's he is looking at me. It's pretty funny. That'd be great if that was a shot, but there isn't. There's a trunk in the stagecoach. <laughs> This movie needed that. Anyway, uh, The Hateful Eight is no exception, as it was shot in Ultra Panavision 70mm, which captured some beautiful landscapes in Colorado and Texas. Of course, the movie takes place in Wyoming, but I hate how fake Hollywood is, as uh, Jay would say. Um, But is there anything, stylistically speaking, that caught your eye? Oh, man. Uh, the The whole way the set is done is just phenomenal. And... I know I mentioned like the framing and how they they create frames within frames in this, but this one goes to another level. Um, they use split diopters. So I don't know if you noticed the shots where like I remember one where uh, let's see when um, he's on the bed. Yeah. And, and yeah, Warren's like on the bed and um, Mannix. Chris yeah. Mannix. Yeah, Mannix is like laying up against uh, one of the pillars, I think. And they're both in focus, even though the bed is way deeper mm-hmm. in the, the frame than Mannix is, right? right? And you can see the shallow depth of field on um, the various like sundries uh, in like the general store area behind Mannix. And it's blurry, shallow depth of field. But then. Uh, then the bed is still sharp right next to it. And they're using a diopter over half of the lens. So a split diopter, which is allowing half of the lens to focus really close and the other half of the lens to focus at its normal distance. Right. Right. So 
he's getting like both of them in focus with like this weird blurring happening in the middle around them. And it's like insanely beautiful. And this film has several split diopter shots and they're all used like great effect in terms of like the, the way that the frame is pushing these people together or separating these people or, you know, kind of encasing them. It's just every frame is so fascinating to dissect the way it's composed and the split diopter shots are just a cut above. Yeah. And I agree with you. And just the way Tarantino blocks scenes too is so, is so well done. And especially in a place like this, like a, you know, for all intents and purposes, a, a small set, um, this might go with a 70 millimeter, but you know, when they're all eating stew and you can purposely see what's going on in the background, like Bob goes get and gets himself some stew or so does Joe Gage. It focuses us because there's a really amazing conversation going on between him and Mannix and John Ruth, but it focuses us to, it pulls us away a little bit to be like, okay, you know, okay, what's going on? Cause we already have that heightened awareness of, of somebody's not telling the truth sort of thing. So, um, and I think that's a lot to be said just in, in how he filmed it. But yeah, Tarantino, I mean, his there's a reason why I love him so much. And I mean, I've I've on record said once upon a time in once upon a time in Hollywood is actually my favorite Tarantino film, which is weird because it's just one of those ones that I feel is the culmination of of his works. And I love every moment of that movie. And it's one that when I revisit, I'm like, Jesus Christ, Brad Pitt is so good in this movie. <laughs> Leo is phenomenal in this movie. Everyone is so goddamn good in that film. And it's really. Yeah, I, I don't want to go too much into that, but yes, he I think he just he, he shoot he shoots this film so well. And the music for me was something that I think was was remarkable. Um, and we talked about it before. It just it really had that heightened awareness and in, in different scenes um, and really kind of shifted your your, I guess, focus, I would say. But um, yeah, oh, and it worked so well with the wind. Oh, my God. All, yeah. of, <laughs> all of the auditory cues were on point. Totally. Like the glass shattering. Um, anytime coffee's poured, just and you were saying getting hit in the face, uh, just that 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 sound of, of the gun hitting her or that just, you know, uncomfortable cracking noise. You're like, oh, I don't like it. Mm. <laughs> so, right. Lots of blood, too. Um, anytime someone got hit or shot, there was just so much fucking blood. It's crazy. But, you know, one thing I really like, too, is uh, there was always snow falling down through the cracks of the haberdashery and the light would hit it in oh, a really yeah. fun way. Yeah. Which I always thought was really cool too. Cause like, I mean, just, just because they're in this room doesn't mean it's that much warmer, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a wooden building and it's going to still be cold. So whether you're by the fire or by the stove and, you know, they all have a billion blankets on, they're all wearing their hats. They're freezing inside these, this, this building. And I think this movie captures that really well. It reminds you that there is a danger a very clear danger right outside the door. Some would say a clear and present danger. A yeah. clear and present <laughs> yeah. danger. Like yeah. the Harrison Ford day. Oh. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, we're constantly just reminded that they're stuck together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh it's bad news bears, dude. And it's gonna be a uh, a couple of days <laughs> before they're gonna get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> And Channing Tatum always surprises me. God, yeah. Like in uh, that Coen Brothers joint that I watched not too long ago, uh, Hail Caesar. I was like, huh, oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that, but there's there's Channing. (laughs) He Channing all over their Tatum. (laughs) There you go. He did that twice last night. Whoa. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is a family show. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so that's all I got. Uh, what are your final thoughts on The Hateful Eight, Zach? Oh, I love this movie so much. It's it's weird because I, we did a top 10 episode for Tarantino, that two-parter, and I don't remember where I ranked this one, but it was one of those ones that I think after I immediately saw it, I mean, Mark and I had discussed it for a long time with our buddy Cole, and it was like, I really liked it, but I, I was kind of like you, Justin, like, I don't know what to think about it. And Mark had a good point where it loses its rewatchability, like the not necessarily the rewatchability, but that that whole uh, mystique behind it when you know when you know the big twist. And so for me, it took me a while to get into it um, years later. But I think as I appreciated Tarantino more, I just kept thinking about this movie and then things started kind of building up and I looked at different aspects of it and I absolutely love this film. And this one's an A for me. It's um it's not my favorite Tarantino film, but it's 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 high up there. It's in his top ten for me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well I, I so I think it's the performances that really elevate it to a whole nother level. There's, so There's only good. a handful of characters in this movie and all of them just bring their A game. Yeah. I mean even even Joe Gage or Grouch Douglas or whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> uh, it was cool to see Michael Madsen again and Bruce Dern. We were talking about him the last time the three of us were together on the podcast. Um, and I said, my neighbor's like uh, fucking Bruce Dern and yeah. Burbs. Yeah. And um, it was cool to see him again. too. He just has this attitude and this weirdness about him. He's such a quirky, grouchy old man. And he was, I swear, he's just playing himself in this movie. And it was fun to see. And Walton Goggins is just so fucking awesome, dude. I love everything that that guy does. Mm-hmm. And I just always want him to be in every fucking movie that I watch. So uh, that's that's where I'm at. What about you, Mark? Uh, I like it. It's definitely not my favorite Tarantino film. Um, I, I I think the dialogue is okay. I, I like it. I agree. The performances are fantastic. The dialogue is pretty edgy, but really what I would just, I guess the whole film is like exactly what I would expect Tarantino to make. Um, So it's definitely on brand um, and it ticks all those boxes. It just doesn't leave me with like a lasting, uh, like something deeper, I guess Mm -hmm. uh, that, that leaves me, it's like a good quick quench, but it doesn't leave me satisfied long-term. So what what are, what are Taran, what are Tarantino (laughs) films that leave you satisfied long-term? Oh, uh, Django and Inglorious. I mean, and even once upon a time, uh, those, those three are just fucking perfect. It's interesting you say Inglorious too, because that one is a slow burn in a lot of ways. Like the whole beginning mm-hmm. where, I mean, that that is like textbook tension building at the beginning when Colonel Hans Landa shows up and they're having the conversation uh, at the table. And yep. it, you're just like, I my skin's crawling. Yeah. <laughs> right? The movie just started and my skin's already crawling. It's it's. Hard and to when watch. I think about my favorite parts of, of this movie, uh, you know, they really remind me of like that underground bar scene in Inglorious. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. You know, where the tension comes, where they're, they're strangers, they're storytelling, uh, you're not sure who's who yet. And, and, you know, what's interesting is like in the Tarantino verse uh, or whatever, 
the the um, executioner is the great 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 grand Tim Roth's character is like the great 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 grandfather of uh, oh one of the German characters in Inglorious Bastards down in that basement setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so all these movies are like connected in a in a weird interesting way. This one I just didn't feel like gave me the the long term you know didn't didn't quite deliver the goods for me mm-hmm. i guess i would still it's still excellent filmmaking like it's shot impeccably well um and the performances are are insanely good so i guess i still have to give it like a b plus like i'm not knocking it it just wasn't my favorite wow sounds like you hate it yeah, <laughs> B plus. You're like you just want Nazi shit. Yeah, more Nazi, Give me more Nazi shit. shit. <laughs> I mean, that's how you get an A. Yeah, is it not obvious? Yeah. The fourteen fists and McCluskey. <laughs> that's a movie. Oh, Justin, what's yours? Great ass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, glorious is is a rough one, man. That one, especially you know, I mentioned the bar scene when that major Hellstrom. When the, when the camera kind of goes back and shows the other side of the wall and Major Hellstrom's like listening to the conversation. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I know I like where this is going. <laughs> I know. That is a like, tense get scene. Get out of here, guy. I mean, even like Hugo Stiglitz is like, dude, just get the fuck out of here, man. We're trying to just have a drink with our friends. So it's like, ah, uh, scene's way too long. Because I feel like Inglorious Bastards is like four scenes, and each one is like an hour. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah, a really I think crazy that, movie. that one's like 40 or 50 minutes. Yeah. 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 Never ends. I want to trust oh. you, Aldo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Got a Mexican standoff. Like got a Mexican standoff here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Justin, what's your ranking on this? Uh, so I would give this movie an A, man. I've, I, like I said, I've seen this movie so many times. Pulp Fiction was my favorite Tarantino movie for the longest time. And I still love it more than, uh, most. I know that movie by heart. I've seen a billion trillion fucking times and I love it to death. But, uh, something about this movie, it just, it's, it's an easy watch for me for some reason. I, and I know that there's the whole, the gag, you know, with the, with the rub that, um, you know, the, the reveal that, that, uh, you know, that you were talking about and how you can only get away with it once, like sort of like the who is Kaiser Sose kind of thing. Like these little <laughs> suspects loses something the second time you watch it. You're like, yeah. wait a minute now. But there's something about this movie. I like how it's just, you know, all these people that don't want to be together are in this room and everyone's going to die. And you're just kind of waiting for it to happen. And I love <laughs> Samuel Jackson's fucking character, man. I just, I love Major Warren. I think he's so great. I think he's brilliant. And, and, and I think just Walton Goggins just, elevates it to a whole nother level where the two of them play off each other so well that I just want them to be in every fucking movie together. I mean, it could be in the next, it could be in a lethal weapon reboot for all I care. And I would love it <laughs> to death. And, um, I mean, for me, it's an a, I, I absolutely adore the shit out of this movie. And, and it's, and that's saying something because it is just so brutal and so graphic and it doesn't have a lot of redeeming qualities. Uh, all these characters are terrible, uh, minus, um, you know, Major Warren. And then, of course, the arc of of um, Mannix, mm. uh, who comes from a family of hate. And and he is literally we watch his metamorphosis take place. And and it's it's a really solid story. And I really dig it. And I will continue to watch this movie over and over and over again. 
Cool. I I agree with all of that. Me too, um, man. You know, you're making me reevaluate my harsh position. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> just uh, just uh, not enough Nazis in it. It's, yeah, <laughs> hasn't happened yet. Oh, Walton Goggins really. I mean, you're right. Samuel Jackson and Walton Goggins, the two of them, they they make this movie for me as well. They really do. It's I mean, it's pretty great. I don't know if you guys watch Vice Principals on HBO. But yeah, <laughs> highly recommend. Walton Goggins is just such a treat to watch. He's good in uh, Righteous Gemstones too. Oh my God, yes, Uncle Baby Billy. Uh, yeah, he's fucking great, dude. I mean, so yeah, funny. and uh, uh, Justified. I mean, that that that's yeah. like one of his his standout roles. Wasn't Justified, um, but I mean, Danny McBride is the other. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> Kenny fucking Powers. Fuck Kenny Powers. <laughs> there you go. So sweet. Cool. Well, Mark, thank you so much for for guesting again on this episode. Yeah, anytime, guys. Anytime. Yeah. Um, like I said, the Tarantino love is is real. It's thick. I dig it, and that's a uh, that's where I get my my, my joy from. So. Yeah, it's Ooh. fun to reminisce about seeing the seventy millimeter road show, dude. Yeah. I mean, I was <laughs> always like in college. I was like, Hey, Mark, can I get your plex so I can watch like Kill Bill or something like that? And then just go Charlie Branja. <laughs> Charlie Branja. Charlie <laughs> Branja. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that song was in every fucking commercial and movie forever. Oh, yeah. The crazy idiot. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, oh, my God. Um, all right. Well, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Um, remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60. Mark, where can we find you on Twitter? At Marky Giles, G I L E S, G I E L S, not 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 J Giles, not <laughs> yeah Giles with a G. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah, um, go ahead and share your thoughts with us on Twitter, and uh, we'll discuss them on our show. I always think of salt and pepper. Share your thoughts with me. <laughs> I don't uh, know what that is. I know who salt and pepper. It's from the "Do you really want me, baby?" Oh, let me know. Oh. <laughs> but it's not—it's not just about the the intercourse and the sex, though. It's about sharing your thoughts. With you. Get to get to know me better. Well, that's... Love my mind, not just my body, baby. <laughs> was that salt or was that pepper? Who said that? <laughs> that, was, that was a little bit of a mix of all of them, man. <laughs> that was Johnny Salt. Um, you know, you can you can tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. We love suggestions. We got some fun ones lined up i think in in the mad mind of justin cavender but uh it'll be really cool so uh you know please also be sure to uh go on to uh, apple podcast and if you love the show leave us a five-star rating it really really helps us leave us a comment tell us how much you you dislike us how much how much you like us all that kind of stuff they love us Please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. Lots of fun there. David, of course, is the man who had to fire the living legend who who called uh, Jennifer <laughs> Jason Lee fast times. times. <laughs> um, lots of fun stuff. So I'm excited because I actually get to meet David and Randy uh, in, a, in a couple days. It'll be really cool. I've never really met what? them. Yeah, it'll be fun. What? So just please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.